Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. Pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. Father, I pray that by the time we finish this series, may we have a deeper understanding of your love. May we know you, O Lord. May our relationship with you be deeper than ever before. Thank you for what you do today in our service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good evening, church. I'm glad to come your way again. I believe we all saw the flyer. It's the beginning of a new teaching series. And today's topic is going to focus on the present day ministry of Jesus, which is entitled, What is Jesus Doing Right Now? Amen. I hope we all can have a fair idea or answer the question. You know, and sometimes it's good because the answer you give really shows the level of your relationship with Christ and also your knowledge of him. Amen. Uh, through my personal experience and observation, I have come to realize that um, many Christians know what Christ did. All right. And, and, and what he did is the past ministry. He's known as our Redeemer. He's known as our Savior. Uh, he redeemed mankind from sin by dying on the cross. Uh, at least, it's believed that the average Christian knows this, even if not in depth. If they are not even able to give a thorough explanation, at least they know. You know, so that, that is why the epistles are written. And when we talk about the epistles, the epistles is from Romans to Revelation. Although epistles just means letters, letters that are written to the church. Amen. So mostly the epistles cover these grounds. Um, and, when, and the episodes that specifically cover these grounds are Romans to Second Thessalonians, because First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, they cover something else. That's a pastoral book. Amen. Does not really necessarily deal with the past ministry of Jesus. But these books, especially the book of Romans that we just did, it, it goes more into the past ministry of Jesus, the benefits of the death of Jesus Christ. When he died, as a result, we have been redeemed, we have been made righteous, we have been regenerated into the newness of life that we can now live by the help and by the aid of the Holy Spirit. All those things are benefits and thank God for Apostle Paul who God gave such a broad revelation on that, on the past ministry of Jesus. So many people at least have an idea of the past ministry of Jesus. Most of us too have an idea of the future ministry of Christ. Uh, we know he will come back again as the king of kings. We know he will come back again as the Lord of Lords. Uh, he will descend just as he ascended in his human estates. 
he will descend now in his pristine and heavenly splendor, right? And uh, he will come to judge the world at the end of this age. And that's why the book of Revelation is written. Amen. So the book of Revelation doesn't necessarily focus on the past ministry of Jesus. It focuses on the future ministry of Jesus. And just for your information, January, we are going to do a series on the book of Generation at our midweek Bible study. I really look forward to that. Amen. But what puzzles a lot of Christians is the middle gap or that space between the past and the future. So like I said, most Christians are in the know of the past ministry or the future ministry. But that gap, that middle space, uh, many Christians are not too aware of that. Very few, surprisingly, or if I will say none, uh, can scripturally explain the middle gap or the middle space. And this is where our teaching comes tonight. Uh, what is Jesus presently doing? I'm not talking about what he has done or what he will do. What is Jesus presently doing now? And I think that's a very important uh, question we will have to answer uh, as we continue in our walk and in our quest uh, for relationship with God. Many years ago, around 2007, I was watching a TV broadcast of a tele-evangelist uh, who mentioned in person. In fact, he wasn't even preaching about this. He was preaching about something else. But he mentioned this in person, and I took note of that. Uh, he mentioned eight things every believer ought to know. How do I know that? Because I have a very old Bible, 2007. I wrote it on a sticky note, and it's still on my sticky notes on my old Bible. So I, I checked. Eight things every believer should know. And he listed them as number one. Every believer should know about redemption. Number two, every believer should know who you are in Christ and Christ in you. Number three, and he said these are things we ought to know. Like if you're a believer, these are ought to know things. Number three, who you stand in God. Number four, the righteousness of God. Number five, his death, burial, and resurrection. Number six, about Jesus' ascension. What is the significance of Jesus ascending to heaven? Number seven, what it means to be seated with God in heavenly places. And then number eight, what is Jesus doing right now? Uh, in 2007, I had been in the Christian faith for a long time. You know, I, at least I had quite a good standing in the faith. I was a Christian worker, a lay worker. I was preaching and all that stuff. But I must admit, when the pastor gave this list, he, like I said, he wasn't even preaching. Like he just said this in person and just spouted this real fast. And I just grabbed the pen and I just wrote it now. I, I must admit, I, I found myself scratching my head in many of the areas he listed. And I was a Christian worker. I was preaching. I understand me. But here I was scratching my head in most of the areas. I sat down, look at the eight, and I'm like, wow, can I really explain this very well? Scratching. I'm like, can I really explain this very, very well? How well can I use scripture to explain 
each of the eight things that he has listed. And I must admit, from that soul section was the inspiration for this message. I think that was where the seed of this message was planted way back in 2007. So it's, it's very important for us to examine ourselves, like Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, whether we are still in the faith. Amen. Every now and then you have to examine yourself. And I thank God that these questions came because it took me time for me, for me to understand all these things. I'm, I started asking myself, who am I in Christ and who is Christ in me? What is redemption? I'm like, okay, that's very easy. I understand redemption. But who, who am I in Christ? And what is the significance of Christ being in me? I had to ask myself a lot of questions. It was a real soul searching period for me. So I really thank God for that. Amen. So today, with that in mind, we want to begin the series on what is Jesus doing in us right now? Uh, so today we are going to look at the first one. Okay. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. I see Pastor Frank Amwakujampa of Paro Devi, Word of Life Christian Center. Also for you, welcome. Amen. And that's the professor. If I knew you were coming on, I would have left this subject to you to teach. Amen. <laughs> Let's read Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Amen. So now in this scripture, does two things strike you as it does to me when I read it? Two things really strike me when I read this. I don't know of you when you heard the reading or if you are reading your Bible. Um, so do you realize that Christ is described as a high priest? So I want you to tuck that in your sleeve, okay? Uh, we will come to it later. Uh, but for now, my main point Pastor Robert, did you, you unmuted yourself. Do you want to give a contribution or question or something? No, I'm sorry. No, it was intentional. Okay, all right. So the, the second thing that struck me as I read this, so the first one is the high priest. So I want all of us to tag that in our sleeves and we will deal with that. But what strikes me that will be our main point for tonight is he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Such a loaded statement. What does that mean? You know, one day I was reading this, I'm like, wow, that's sitting down for a long time. Won't Christ have a backache? If he's gone to heaven and if he has sat down, he's still sitting. Won't he have a backache? Or he is God, or that doesn't apply to him. So it's a very loaded statement. So what does this mean when we say that Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens? It's a very loaded statement. Uh, so the word seated refers to a place or a seat. But it does not necessarily refer to a posture. You understand? I'm sure some of us are, you know, who are here now, probably some might be lying down, some may be sitting, 
or maybe you might be standing doing something in the kitchen or what have you. But when the Bible says that Christ is seated, that word seated in the Greek doesn't necessarily mean a posture. It could infer that, but that's not what it means. What this word seat means here is a position, ranking, or a setting. Okay, so when we say that Christ is seated, it's talking about Christ's position, ranking, and setting as compared to a posture, like setting down. Amen. Uh, so, secondly, what is the meaning of the word right hand? And sometimes, like I, I keep on saying, it's very important to go um, through these because English is more like a secondary language of the Bible, you know? And sometimes for us to get the meaning, we have to look at the, the root words or language in which the Bible was actually written so that we'll be able to communicate the truths better. So when you look at this word right hand in the Greek, it's not what we think it is. Amen. Uh, in this text, it is a figurative expression of power and authority. Amen. So when you join these words together, so when we talk about Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we are not talking about let's say to your left or to your right directions or whatever we call them. There's a figurative expression. So Christ is not seated like, as you know, he's seated at the right. You know, when you hear the word Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, it doesn't mean Christ is seated at the right. The right hand here is just a metaphor. It's a, 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 a Hebrew metaphor which has been translated in the Greek, which is an expression of power, and authority. So now, when you join these words together, it simply means that Christ is now set in heaven as an equal partner in God's universal government. So when we say that Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty, we are talking about Christ has equal power in God's universal government. It is the Son and the Father who are at rule and coexisting at the same time. Amen. Um, it means that Christ is also equal to God. And whatever attributes God has, Christ also has it. So it's not a power share. I don't want to use the word power sharing but he is equal and he has a part in God's universal government, which talks about rulership. So what is Jesus doing right now as he ascended to the heavens? Jesus is ruling. He is at a place of power, at a place of authority, and he is ruling. Amen. And this is an elevated place of power than walking on this earth as the Son of God. You know, when Jesus Christ came, he walked on this earth as the Son of God, but he has been elevated beyond just being a Son of God to now at a place of authority and power, and he is ruling. So now, let's trace his ascent, his ascent 
to that place. Amen. As a result of his ascension, why did Jesus have to ascend and go back to heaven? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. He was ascending to the Father, but for what reason did he have to ascend to the Father? The scripture is going to give answer to that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. So let's read. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. I read, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So before Jesus came on this earth, one thing you have to know is he was God. Can we all get that? Can we all see that in the scripture? So he was God. He was God. He was in the form of God. And he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It's God. Listen to me. But he came on this earth, became a son of Mary, right? Made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a born servant. You know, Jesus coming on this earth and walking as a man was sort of like a demotion. It's a downgrade. It's a downgrade to his appearance downgrade to his prestige, downgrade to his honor. And there was a reason for that. Why? So that he will redeem mankind from the sins of the world. Let's read on verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man. So this God, this divine being that had the form of God that was equal with God, he was found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And why was he humble? Humble here is talking about he, he, he focused on the assignment without deviation. That's humility. You know, Christians, when we talk about humility, sometimes we have very traditional views of humility. Humility means obedience. Humility doesn't mean you, you, you walk slow. Humility doesn't mean you say yes, please, and thank you. Although it's very good to say yes, please, and thank you. It shows you have good manners. It's very important. Humility doesn't mean you say I beg your pardon. Humility doesn't mean you carry your pastor's Bible or, or you serve people or, or you bow when you greet people or you even take off your shoes. All these are not signs of humility. Okay, when we say someone is humble, the person obeys God. He obeys the mission of which God has given to him. That's humility right there. Amen. So humility is obedience to the assignments God has given to you. That is the person God sees humble. Because there are many people who take off their shoes and who bow down their head when they greet you, but they are not humble in the eyes of God. So Humility doesn't have to do with posture. Humility has to do with obedience to the task and the assignment God has given to you. So Jesus was humble. Why? Because he obeyed the assignment to die on the cross. Even at the expense of his convenience. Amen. Not verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him highly exalted him. Now, 
what is the meaning when we say God has highly exalted him? Did he exalt him as God? No. That's why it's important to start with verse 5. When God exalted Christ, it's not because he was exalted. He was already God. In the form of God. Equal with God. But when God exalted him as a result of obedience to the assignments, that is to die for the sins of the world, he wasn't exalted to be God. He was already, he was already God. Are you understanding me? So now we are going to look at the form of exaltation here. Why was he exalted? Let's read on. Given him the name which is above every name. So pre-Christ coming onto the earth, he was God. He was in the form of God. But he didn't have the name that now we are going to see here. Let's read on which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So pre-Christ's human existence, the name Jesus was not an exalted name. Because mind you, Jesus was a common Jewish name. Emmanuel was a common Jewish name. Jesus is not the only person called Jesus in the Bible. That's one thing you have to know. Even when you read your Bible carefully in Acts, there was um, a fetish guy, a, a sorcerer. His name was called Bar Jesus. Okay, he calls him that. Bar in the Hebrew means son. He calls himself son of Jesus, but he was a devil. So Jesus was a common name. It's a, it's a common name. It's not like it's a very exclusive, a pristine type of name. He was called Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a common name. You can call yourself Emmanuel, but you will not have the same power or weight back in that name. You can call yourself Jesus, you will not have that same power or weight back in it. Even the Spanish people, many of them are called Jesus, and they spell it Jesus, right? So, before Christ came, he was in the form of God, equal with God, shared in the attributes of God, but the only difference between when he came down and when he ascended was now he has had some power vested in the earthly name that he used called Jesus. And what will happen? At this mention of the name Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee. So Christ, if you do remember, when we were doing this, the book of John, the series of the book of John, one of the expressions of the I am is, before Abraham was, I am. Right? So God was, I am. And he had the redemptive names, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi. I believe I did those things in, in our series, that name, last year, December. Amen. So, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, excuse me, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and to the glory of God the Father. So, from this scripture, we see that God exalted Christ to 
a position. And it's not just a position of being God. It's now with a name. That's the only difference. He has a name called Jesus. That name, Jesus, the name that he used on this earth. That name has been exalted above every other name. And it's been exalted that three places are affected when they hear the name. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. That's how powerful now that name has become. That at the mention of the name Jesus, every knee in three places, heaven, that's all the angels, everybody, excluding God, because God can't bow to his name. Every knee on earth will bow and under the earth. That's how powerful the name is now. Secondly, at the mention of this name, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, when it talks about every tongue will confess, is it talking about, so now, um, legend has it that we are 7.6 billion, right? Doesn't mean all 7.6 billion, everybody will give their lives to Christ, everybody will say he's Lord, not necessarily so. What it simply means is that by the end of this age, we will all come to the realization that Jesus is Lord every tongue. Amen. So Christ is in governance now with a powerful name ruling and the effects of his rule are seen in things surrendering or bind their power to his name. Amen. And and also people confessing him Lord and our Savior. So now if you ever have the opportunity to witness to someone and the person gives his life to Jesus Christ, is an attestation to God exalting Christ's name. Because now people will come to the saving knowledge of God our Father through the name of Jesus. So that's an attestation to the fact. Amen. And this was prophecy that had to be fulfilled. So go with me to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I'm going to read verse 7 in addition. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So we are reading Isaiah's prophecy of who Jesus is presently. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice upon the throne of David and over his kingdom from that time forward and even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. Very interesting scripture. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born and a son is given. You know, it speaks of what in theology they call hypostatic union. And what's the meaning of hypostatic union? It just simply means that 
Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. He, he wasn't 50-50. Okay? He was 100% God, 100% man. And if, if you've been following the trend in the book of John, we, we have come to the fact to establish that Christ, even though he came as the son of Mary, he operated fully as a man, yet he also operated in the divinity of God the Father as Christ the Son. Amen. So the attributes are very important because these are attributes for God. The same attributes are also extolled upon the Son. And five attributes were mentioned here. He will be called Wonderful. He will be called Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. And he will be called the Prince of Peace. You see, the Son of God is also known as the Mighty God. The Son. Unto us a child is born, a son is given talks about Jesus. Jesus was the son, right? Yet he was also a child because he had to be born. He had to be a fetus in the womb of Mary. He was a child born, but at the same time, he was a son that was given from the corridors of heaven to come and fulfill an assignment. The Bible now is letting us know his attributes, which are God the Father's attributes. Jesus, the son, also shares in the attributes. That's why I always talk about three things when it comes to the Trinity, either the Holy Spirit or Christ. Jesus is the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He shares in the attributes of God. Now, if I talk about the Holy Spirit, I also say that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit shares in the attributes of God. So whenever I talk about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, if you do notice, I always mention these three facts because they are very important. So Jesus is the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, shares in the attributes of God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? The Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit shares in the attributes of God. When we do John, John, you know, as we are going, Jesus' sixth day, he will spend time talking about the third person of the Trinity. And I think we'll do that, God willing, next year, not, not this year. Amen. Because we'll, we'll just finish chapter 13 and we'll close off volume 3 of the book of John. Amen. So it's very important for us to know that Jesus and God are one. And I have explained that they are co-existing persons. All right? They are one. It's not two gods, it's one God. With the Holy Spirit in addition, it's not three gods, it's one God. Amen. And that is also Jesus' name. So when we say at the mention of the name Jesus, mind you, you are invoking every power, every force, and every attribute of God. That's why the name is so powerful. Because in that name, Jesus is called wonderful. In that name, Jesus is counselor. 
In that name, Jesus, is mighty God. In that name, Jesus, is everlasting Father. In that name, Jesus, is Prince of Peace. It's a heavy name. So whenever you mention the name Jesus, you are invoking every power, every force, and every attribute of God to work on your behalf. That is why the name has been exalted above every other name. Amen. And in these two verses, we see the word government. What is the meaning of this word government? This word government means rule and dominion. Amen. Because now in this current context, when we talk about government, it normally refers mostly to a branch, mostly to a subject in politics. So when we are talking about government here, government here is referring to rule and dominion. And I want us to also consider the word shoulders because the Bible says upon his shoulders would the government be. So what's the meaning of the word shoulders here? Shoulder here is a Hebrew metaphor meaning responsibility or rule. Amen. So we can read the verse like this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the rule and dominion will be his responsibility to rule. Does it make sense? So, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the rule and dominion will be his responsibility to rule. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And verse 7, of the increase of his rule and dominion and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from the time forward. So right here in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 6 to 7, Isaiah had a sneak preview into what Jesus is currently doing as of present. And what is he doing? The Bible lets us know that he is ruling. He is Lord. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So that's what Jesus is currently doing. So be encouraged that when Jesus left for heaven when he ascended. He didn't just go and he said, job finished, I'm done, and folded up his arms. That's not what he went to go and do. So when he ascended, he has gone to take over a new responsibility, a higher responsibility, exalted, and exalted not just because he is God, exalted as is now the name Jesus that he walked on this earth with has power. And it has so much power that at the mention of the name, every knee and every tongue, in three places, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, will bow. They will pay obeisance and they will declare that Jesus is Lord. So tonight, please, I really want you to be encouraged that yes, Christ has finished his work here on the earth, but he is not abstract. And he is not absent, but he is ruling in the affairs of this life 
with great power, great authority, and rule which cannot be matched, is unmatched, very matchless, and no words can describe it. I think we will just have to see it one day for us to even have probably the faintest idea of it because God is so big. And when I'm talking about big, I'm talking about he's so big in description, so big beyond our imagination that we can even describe him. We are yet to really describe God. Amen. So when you receive him as Lord and Savior, automatically he's on our side. You have authority to use his name. There's a weighty authority. There's a weighty authority to use this name. And you are using the name of Jesus that just didn't walk on this 33-year-old Jewish man. You are using Jesus now who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. That is the name you are using. That is the name that has now been exalted above every other name. Amen. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you imagine having the authority to use the name of the president? Don't you think your life will be easier? As a dweller in this United States, can you imagine if Joe Biden, you meet Joe Biden, he says, for you to have anything in America and make your life easy, just use my name. Oh, what an easy life. America will really be heaven on earth if I know I can use the name of the president. Or how, do you, how does it feel in your company? You are able to use the name of the owner. Because most owners, you will never see them. Most owners of companies are billionaires, you will never see them. But what a privilege if you will have the opportunity to use the name. For example, if you work for Microsoft and you have the opportunity to use the name of Bill Gates, can you imagine? You name drop Bill Gates in certain conversations and certain things will open. If you are working at Amazon and you have the opportunity to use Jeff Bezos, you use his name, certain things will open. Can you imagine just having the opportunity to use the name of certain people? It's very powerful to use certain names. Amen. It reminds me of earlier today. I had an email thread. You know, it's a long conversation because I, I was asking HR to do something for me. I, I wanted a favor. And for, for me to have that favor, I had to name drop. I had to name drop the senior vice president of operations. And, and once I, I named him and I said, this is what he said. He guaranteed me that because he's a very high guy, you know, people don't easily get access. There's what when I said that, favor just came. Just like that. And certain things were shifted on my behalf. That is what I'm talking about. In fact, this afternoon, as I was sitting there and as I was just reading the thread of messages, I'm like, wow. And this is a man that can even die tomorrow. He can die tomorrow. This is a man that can even die. And if just a mere man, this is not even the owner of a company, just senior VP, if such a man has that much power, how much more the name of Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens? How much more? 
How much more? But it seems that today, because we don't know him, we have more faith in using certain names. Today, I'm telling you, name drop Jesus. Do you know why you can name drop Jesus? Because he has been exalted. One of the present day ministries of Jesus today is he is Lord. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Why are you crying? I'm asking you, why are you depressed? I'm asking you, why are you frustrated? I'm asking you, why are you sad? I'm asking you, why are you angry? Do you know the name? Why are you confused? I'm asking you, do you know the name? This name has been exalted for a reason. So do you see why it's important for us to know about the present day ministry of Jesus? It will change our paradigm and our present work of faith with the Lord. Uh, It's very good to understand the past ministry of Jesus. It's very good to look forward to the future ministry of Jesus because you have a greater understanding. But it's also important for us to understand the name or, or to understand what Jesus is doing presently in this current space. And one of the things we have to know is that he is Lord. Amen. The eternal God who is Jesus. The one who is called mighty God, everlasting father, who has no reign, no reign to his authority. His reign is like nothing else. You know, the Bible calls it everlasting. Do you know that there is no rule or authority in this world that's everlasting? In America, look at it, the democracy. Eight years max, it's over. And you are abandoned into political wilderness. We don't even hear of you again until special events or special functions. Or let's say you are even the monarch. A monarchy, how long can you reign? You will say, I'll reign forever, but you will meet someone called death. And someone will take over your throne. And whether that person will even continue your works or not, that is something else. But we serve God who time cannot defeat him. Death cannot defeat him. And this is the one we are serving. Amen. So please, I want you to name drop Jesus in every aspect and situation of your life because he cares. He is seated not for a reason. He is seated for our sakes. He is seated for the welfare of his children. He is seated for us who call ourselves disciples. Now, I want us to look at a promise he gave the disciples in the book of John. And we will definitely come to that when we do our series in the book of John. So go with me to John chapter 16, verse 22 to 24. John chapter 16, verse 22 to 24. I read, Therefore you now have sorrow, But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Verse 23. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you receive that your joy may be full. So like I told you last week, chapters 13 to 17 of the book of John are all events of the sixth day. Okay, so four chapters in the book of John are just dedicated to the sixth day. And then chapter 18 is the Friday Jesus arrested and then he is going to be crucified somewhere in chapter 19. Amen. So on the last day before his crucifixion, the sixth day, the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples was about his name. But before that, think of me for a moment. Have you been there when they said someone is about to die? It's an atmosphere of sadness. It's an atmosphere of depression. And I'm sure that the disciples sensing Jesus was about to die. Of course, they didn't know that the time he would die, but they knew the time was near. They, they, you, you know, they had a sense of it like he's going to die. I'm sure they were depressed. So an atmosphere of sadness, atmosphere of depression. These people had left their careers to follow Jesus. Jesus was their everything. He was their provider. He was the one that gave them solution. He was their teacher. Explained perplexing uh, mysteries to them. This guy is about to go. He's about to die. Of course, they, of course they, they, they didn't have in mind that he was going to resurrect again. But I'm sure they were sad. Have you been there before? I, I, I've, I've been there before. I've been to a place where someone was given a timeline to die. It's an atmosphere of sadness and depression. I've been there. Recently, Pastor Jessica and I, we even went somewhere. They, they were like, the person has one day to die. Come. And Pastor Jessica and I had to drive. Had to drive. It was, it was an atmosphere of depression. It's like you are even hoping against hope. You know, and we you know we were there, we prayed and everything, and then the next day we received a call that the person has passed. But 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 when you know that someone is about to die, there is some sort of depression, and and, and that would have been there. It it was it was heaviness. You know, these people just relied on God. Like our bread and butter is going to leave us, but Jesus started his statement with most assuredly. I love that. And when you say most assuredly, it means I am telling you the truth without a shadow of doubt. It almost sounds as if the truth, who is Jesus, is swearing that he's telling the truth. Can you imagine? Jesus is called the truth. He is swearing that I'm telling the truth. That, that's the, the sense you get here. Most assuredly, it, it's like I, I swear that I'm telling the truth. And Jesus is called the truth. The truth is swearing that he is telling the truth. He said, I tell you the truth without a shadow of doubt. And let me tell you something. It is impossible for Jesus to lie. Do you know why? Because the Bible says that with God the Father, there is no shadow or of turning or variation. James chapter 1. That's an attribute of God that is exclusively for Jesus also. Because every attribute that God the Father has, Jesus also has. Amen. So if the Father can't lie, it is also impossible for Jesus to lie. And Jesus is saying that I am telling you the truth without a shadow of doubt. Yes, I'm going. Use my name. Use my name. I'm sure the disciples might not even understand it properly because like, 
I mean, when we use your name, we, we will be stoned. I hope you know that. You are a wanted man. You know, when we did John chapter 11, when he said, let us go back to Judea, he said, Lord, you will be stoned. So if you go to heaven and we mention this name and you are dead, can you imagine what will happen to us? But what they didn't know was that Jesus was talking about a time is coming, I'm going to be exalted. That is my name. I'm going to go back as God. And at the mention of that name, every knee shall bow. Use my name. Christ knew what he was saying. He was setting them up. And then when you read Acts, they use this name. It is because of the name. That is why by the end of the first century, Christianity had become a world state religion. Use the name. Because Jesus was saying that when you use my name, I will be as present as I was with you in my physical shell. Can I tell you something tonight? This name can let us feel God's assurance and comfort. We will feel his ever-abiding presence. Why? Because he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He is ruling with great power, great authority, that at the mention of his name, things are rearranged, things are shifted for your advantage and to your benefits. Jesus is highly exalted for our sakes and that is for we who were his disciples. He's exalted for our sakes. So this is something I want you to shout glory about. So from tonight's studies, we have biblically concluded that Jesus is presently Lord in coexistence with the Father ruling. It's important to know him as Lord with great power and not just a good man, a prophet, a teacher, a healer, a worker of miracles. He has been highly exalted. So today, what is Jesus presently doing? We have answered one, seated at the right hand. And I believe that when we talk about seated at the right hand, you and I can now explain it in depth with scriptures. Jesus is Lord. Use his name. His name has power. Why does the name has power? Because every attribute, every force, every power of God is vested in that name. Amen. Down for tonight's questions or contributions. God bless you. If there are no questions or contribution, what did you learn tonight? Don't summarize, but whatever you learned, one person can just say it and we will wrap up for tonight then. Um, it was a great topic about um, what is Jesus currently doing um, in the present day. Um, that was a really, really interesting topic to discuss. And I did um,
um, about people do know about what Jesus did in the past ministry, but they don't, people don't really talk about what's currently occurring. So um, that's what I learned. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to thank God for what we've learned tonight. Amen. But before we finish, I, I, I have a prayer topic, okay? Uh, throughout the Pauline epistles, all right, one of the things you find Apostle Paul doing was he, he solicited prayer from his audience. Amen. Uh, tonight, I solicit prayers from you, okay? I'm saying that because being a bivocational pastor is very challenging. Amen. I'm very, very challenging. I feel, I feel very tired now. So please, I want you guys to pray for me for strength, uh, for the grace of God, and that I'll be very diligent to the call of God upon my life. Amen. Because you are one man, you, 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 you can do so much. Amen. My, my, my role is being expanded at my workplace. And it's a lot. It's, it's currently a lot. You know, my, my wife is my, my witness. I'm, I'm, I'm busy than... <laughs> I've ever been. I never thought my it, it would even come to this. It's it's very tasking. It's very tasking. I have I have so much on my plates now, and and sometimes juggling work and 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 ministry and everything that I have going on. I have a lot going on that I don't really share, but but it's 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 tasking. It's tasking and daunting. So today I really want you guys to pray for me. Pray pray for Pastor Steve. Okay, pray for me that God will give me strength. All right, I need strength. I really need strength because I've, I feel very tired. Even this weekend, we were supposed to go to a function. I just slept right. So, you know, it's like we didn't even mention function. I'm not in the way. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And so, so pray for me that God will give me strength. Pray for me that God will give me grace. I have, I'm now wearing many hats now and I need grace to function in each of the roles apportioned me. And pray that I'll become diligent to the, God, the call of God upon my life. Amen. So please, I'm at this from my heart. I'm asking for prayers for you, you know, and it's scriptural. Paul always asks for prayers from, from the saints of God in his epistles. So it's right. In the light of that, just pray for me. Today, I have three pastors here. So one of you can just lead a prayer and then pray for me. I want to feel the prayer tonight. Amen. So one of you can just lead and be close. So we'll just thank God for what we've learned tonight. And then after that, one of you should just pray for me. I want to hear your prayers tonight. and feel encouraged. Amen. Oh, three pastors. Unmute quick and then start, you know, let's, let's finish it. All right. I want to nominate Pastor Frank. Yes. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray for Pastor Stephen and I believe God for his strength and come together in agreement for his desire during this time and season in his life. And so Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise and glory and honor. We, we magnify you. We praise you. We thank you for the word that has been delivered tonight. We receive with thanksgiving. Father, we lift up our dear pastor before you in the name of Jesus. We pray that, Father God, that you will continue to strengthen him with all might, strengthen his inner man, strengthen his inner being in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we pray that your grace is sufficient for him. 
that your grace is made perfect in this time of weakness in the name of Jesus. We pray that Father God that concerning his new roles are work that you will you will grant him the wisdom, the knowledge, and understanding that he needs, Father God, in this role. And at the same time, be able to manage ministry life, family life, and all that he's got going on right now in the name of Jesus. We pray that, Father God, he will not drop any of it in Jesus' name, but he has the grace, he has the wisdom, he has the knowledge, Father God, to handle each, each assignment and each thing that he is doing right now during this season of his life in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray that, Father, those of us who are around him, Lord, that we will be uh, we will be sensitive to his needs. We will come around him and support him and lift up his hands, Father God, and lift him up before you so that he will always be strengthened with might in his inner man, that he will always, Father God, be able to, to even go further, to even do more in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that you will continue to guide and order his footsteps. His footsteps are ordered by you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, we just thank you for, for, for the gift that you've given to us. We thank you, Father God, that every time he pours out spiritually, Lord, you will fill him up in the name of Jesus. You will replenish him in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that he will not even sense during this season, Father God, uh, uh, um, um, any lack of strength in the mighty name of Jesus, but your grace will carry him. Your strength will sustain him, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus. And he will be able to, he will be able to declare and say, it's not by might, it's not by my own might, it's not by my own strength, but it has been by the spirit of the living God on the inside of him, strengthening him and carrying him every day in the mighty name of Jesus. So Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, but as we come together tonight to pray in agreement, we call this prayer done and it will come to pass and it will manifest in Pastor Stephen's life in the name of Jesus. He will sense your grace and your strength every single day in Jesus' name. We give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. I appreciate you spending seven minutes of our time praying for me. I'm very touched. Amen. Thank you so much. God richly bless all of you. Amen. And as you are sleeping tonight, please arm yourself with the truth that Jesus is currently Lord in your life because he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Use his name. He has that much power. Amen. So be encouraged with that. I pray you a fruitful rest of the week. And God willing, we shall meet on Sunday. Thank you all and God bless you. Love you guys. Good night. God bless, God bless you.